like I said, it was very hard for me to start this. I had so many self-doubts, so much mind work that I had to get through to be able to get this business started. And I just, all I kept thinking was, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to pay the bills? But what are the bills? I already have a laptop. I'm not investing in a marketing brand because I'm strictly using word of mouth. I was like, so what are the bills, girl? Like, what are these bills that you're all worked up about? So I had to like sit down and create a budget. And literally my expenses were $9.99 for 500 business cards through Vistaprint. Not an ad. Just letting you guys know what my bills were. $69.99 for a PO box at the post office. And $7 for a fax number. That was it. Those those were the bills. The bills that were holding me back that I was so stressed out about that I wasn't going to be able to afford. I was like, oh my God. Okay, I can do this. I already had a laptop. It was going to be okay. to Gladiatrix. I am woman and hear me roar. I'm your host, Malini Sarma. Every week, I will be speaking with women from all over the world who will be sharing their journeys, their stories about overcoming their fears and achieving great things that they thought they never could. So if you don't want to miss a story, make sure you subscribe. Thank you, thank you, thank you to the amazing, beautiful, badass women who have been guests on this show. I had a mission to travel to every country in the world, but since that didn't work out, my new mission is to speak to at least one woman from every country in the world. There are 193 countries, and I still have at least 180 to go. So, If you know of somebody who has an amazing story to tell, let me know. I'm all ears. You can reach me on Instagram at Malani Sarma, on my website, MalaniSarma.com, or on Facebook at Malani Sarma, M-A-L-I-N-I-S-A-R-M-A. In today's episode, we're speaking with Alba Contreras. Alba was born in Venezuela and moved to Boston when she was nine years old. Even though she found out that she was undocumented when she was in high school, she was determined to go to college, even if it meant joining the Air Force. Today, she is a lawyer, a mother of two, a business coach, and also helps other women who want to start their own law practice. And this is her story. Hey, Alba, thank you so much for joining the show. I'm really, really excited to hear your story. And I am sure there are thousands of women out there waiting to hear and be inspired. So thank you for coming on today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So um, you were born in Venezuela, but you moved to the U.S. when you were uh, very young. So tell me a little bit of what was your experience growing up in a, in a household that, you know, spoke mainly Spanish but also, but now lived in the United States. Yeah. So I, like you said, I'm a native of a small city in Venezuela called Barquisimeto. I came to the United States when I was about nine years old. We relocated to Boston. Um, And there's a phrase, whenever people ask me this question, there's a phrase in Spanish that I always reply back of what my life was and is still is. 
And it's ni de aquí, ni de allá. And basically the translation, it's neither from here nor from there. So it was weird because we lived in a, when we relocated, when we migrated to the U.S., we we lived in a predominantly uh, white neighborhood where I was the only Spanish-speaking child in the school. But then I would go home and only speak Spanish, you know? So it was like I was learning about, you know, the American culture when I was in school from eight to three, but then on all my other other times, I was at home where our Venezuelan culture was still very um, alive. So it was a very interesting um, experience growing up, but I also think it was a unique experience that allows me to be such a, um, so good at what I do now, right? So good at being an attorney, so good at being an immigration attorney, and um, so good at just being an entrepreneur because I had all these different experiences um, growing from, from such a young age that, you know, allowed me that to become the person I am today. But I do have to say one, so one of my favorite foods is ripe plantains. And the hardest thing adapted when I moved to the U.S. was school lunch. Oh, yes. I could not. I just, I didn't understand. I just would look at kids and I'm like, ew, they're drinking milk. Like we didn't drink milk for lunch. That's not something that you do in the motherland. And it was such a, honestly, that was the hardest part of adapting to the culture. So I would tell my mom, like, I don't want to eat that lunch. And my mom was like, oh, but like you get it for free. Like get it. And I was like, no, I, I don't want it. Peanut butter and jelly, that concept was so foreign to me. (laughs) And my mom would make me food and um, she would make me plantains. And there was this one kid, I remember his name was Nick. And every time, like that became his favorite food. And he didn't know Spanish, I didn't know English, but every time for lunch, he would sit next to me and point at my plantains and ask me to give him one. asking my mom to put extra plantains on my lunch because I was like this kid is gonna ask me and I kind of felt bad you know I felt bad for him because I was like oh my god like yeah I get it you're eating peanut butter and jelly and no you need my food um so that's kind of like one of my earliest like adaption memories that I have from my dating you know that's very interesting because normally when kids come over they want to blend in with everybody else and not be like you know singled out because when you open your your lunch your food is like looks different smells different feels different it's like ew what is that but in your case it is literally the opposite yeah actually I was I always have conversations like this with my friends and they always tell me how lunch was such a traumatizing experience for them because they wanted to blend in they didn't want you know like you said the stinky food and I was like ew why like <laughs> did you did you try that milk? Did you try that carton milk? Like, first of all, it has like the aftertaste of the carton in it. And, you know, I come from a culture where you were sent home for lunch. So, and lunch back in the day in Venezuela was like, you had the soup and then you had what you call the dry, which was like the rice, the meat and the plantains. So to me, like eating until this day, Melania, um, I cannot eat cold sandwiches. Like whenever people are like, whenever I go to conferences or things and I see cold sandwiches, it's just something that like my body was not able to, you know. I think, you know, adjust. bread is also a very Western thing because even from where I come from, it was rice, you know, it was always like the rice or it was made differently. It was hot food. It was always hot food. This cold thing is like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. I should have known from back then that like 
I, my culture was something definitely that I was going to 110% embrace because <laughs> I was never afraid to be that kid with the, you know, with the soul food, with the plantains and everything. I loved it. I embraced it 110%. That's awesome. I love that. So, um, see, I can, I can already tell you probably didn't care what anybody else thought. You just did what you needed to do. That's awesome. So growing up, what did you dream about? What did you want to do? And, you know, who are your role models? Um, it was so funny because as I was going over the questions, when you sent them over to me, I was like, this is a really good question because what I dreamt of was being a doctor. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and, you know, from when you asked me when I was little, that's what I would tell you. I'm going to be a doctor. I actually specifically wanted to be a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously I did not become that. <laughs> um, things happened in life that I was like, I'm not doing this. And, um, but I was very, I've always been like a loner in that sense of like, I had my friends, but I, I was very independent of like, if somebody told me like, you said like, ew, why did you bring stinky from like, um, this is good food. You're the one that's missing out. I was always, <laughs> you know, in that sense, being very like vocal and standing up for what I truly like to me, it didn't matter as long as I was content and happy. Um, so that's how I was as a child. And as for my role models, this one I had a hard time thinking because I think when I think of role models, I think of like famous people or people that were like, you know, on TV or something like that. And I don't think I've ever, you know, I didn't have, growing up, I didn't have a role model in that sense. And I think also because there wasn't a lot of Latino people around me, mm-hmm. I think it was hard for me to identify, mm-hmm. you know, who was my role model. I was kind of like just creating going on this road that I don't think anyone before me had been into. But I think if I had to pick one person, I would say my grandmother was my role model. She still is. That woman is still my number one role model. Um, You know, I always say that to to my sister. Like, my grandmother came from a very small town in Venezuela. And she was an orphan when she was very, very young from both parents. And to just see how she pretty much did everything that society tells you not to do. Right? Uh, no she, wonder you relate to her because you, you're the yeah. same way. <laughs> exactly. That's why she's like my ride or die because she, you know, she went out of the town. She had to grow up like with other people that kind of like took her in, but weren't really family. It was kind of like a kind of like a maid worker dynamic type of place. Um, she didn't finish high school, but back then she took like a nursing course and she became kind of like an assistant nurse and she had three children out of wedlock because she wasn't married. And she was so, even though she wasn't able to get kind of like that higher education, she's always been so, um, adamant to us that we needed to get that. And she is so proud of that. Like her son is a doctor, her daughter is a computer engineer, and her other daughter is a teacher. So to her, that's like when you ask her about her children, she takes that pride in seeing that. Like my son is a doctor, my daughter is a computer engineer, my other daughter is a teacher. Um, and like I said, until this day, my grandmother is still my role model. My grandma has traveled so much um, from younger age, so she couldn't after. You know, she had kids. She couldn't work as a nurse because it was frowned upon to have a non-married, like, mother. Like, mm-hmm. all these societal... Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. 
But she was a hustler. She didn't care. So my grandma had like a visa and she would come to the U.S. and get like stuff and then take it back and sell it. And even when we were here, my grandmother would always come and visit us because she had a visa. And she would always be like, let's go shopping because I need to take this back because I can resell this. Like she always figured out ways to make money and to figure it out, you know. Um, So I would say like back then my grandmother was my role model. And definitely until today, my grandma is still my role model. And I definitely after her <laughs> yeah I mean that that sounds so I mean it takes a lot of guts to do that kind of thing and then also like you said you know having kids out of wedlock I mean oh talk about society throwing shade at you just because you don't follow the norm but you know we as women we take care of our own man we have to if you got to do what you got to do and when it comes to our kids we'll do whatever it takes right exactly that's, that's awesome that's so cool but today you're a lawyer and you're, and you're focusing on immigration laws. How did you, how did you get into law? Because you wanted to be a doctor. Yeah. So um, fast forward to high school, I was like, I don't think I want to do, a lot of things happen, right? And I think a lot of my aspirations died a little bit when I was going through that like high school phase, mostly because being a teen is weird. Um, being an undocumented teen is even weirder. Wow. <laughs> so, I think that a lot of that, and that was the moment that I realized, you know, because you grow up and you don't realize what social security is, all these other things are. Um, so when I was in high school, I was like, you know what, I don't, I don't think I can do this whole like going to med school thing. Like it's too much money. I kind of started thinking of like just going to school, graduating, making money. But that that was kind of like where my um, mindset shifted a little bit, and not thinking of like the long term investment that my education was going to be. So I actually started, I, when I went into college, I went as a psychology major because I wanted to be a child psychologist. I felt like that was close enough to being like medical field and still working with children type of thing. And then I went to college and I did not like it. <laughs> I took those psychology courses and I was like, I can't do this. This is not like what I wanted to do. This is like, cause it wasn't, it honestly wasn't, it was, I was settling, right. I like chose psychology because I really wanted to go to med school. So I still had that mindset of like, okay, well now I'm gathering up all these student loans. I need something that's going to make me money once I get out of here. So I ended up going for a business major. I ended up doing a double major in international marketing and um, human resource management. And it was my last year of college that I took a human resource class where we were learning like tons of case law about like employee rights and people that were like um, improperly fired and like all these things. And I was like, this is like interesting. Like I like this. And I remember I told my teachers that I really enjoy your class. And I was always that dorky kid. Like if I liked the class, I would just go to the teacher. Like, I really like your class, you know? And if I didn't, I'm like, oh, signing out of this. And the teacher was kind of like impressed not impressed, but I guess like he was shocked that I was being so honest and that I liked it. He was like, really? Because a lot of people did not like the class. And he was like, if you really like this class and you like, you know, what you're learning, then you should look into law school. And he was the one that kind of just lit that like light bulb in my brain. And then I started um, looking more into it. Mm -hmm. I went to a state school at that time. It was kind of relatively small state school. So they, they didn't have like a law school group or anything like that but there was this one teacher who kind of would give a lecture like once a year about like what it was like to go to law school so I went to the lecture and it was so funny because it was this white man right because the school was predominantly all white males and he goes 
well, if you're not ready, it was a very discouraging pep talk that he gave us. Like law school is hard. If you don't have like the money or the funds, like it's going to be even more, like even more difficult. It's no joke. Don't waste my time. If you are not serious about this, then you might as well just walk away from the lecture. He was so completely like, um, just discouraging. And that funny enough gave me more momentum to look into law school. It's like the worst thing that you could do to me, Melanie, is tell me not to do something. Because <laughs> that kind of tells me like, how dare you tell me not to do something? Like you do not know what I'm capable of. Um, so when I, I left out of that info session, I just started looking into law school and looking into the LSAT. And honestly, I did it all on my own. I went to Barnes and Nobles. I bought a book that said how to get into law school. And that's how my journey started to go into law school. Funny enough, when I went into law school, um, I wanted to be a prosecutor, which obviously is completely opposite as to what I do now. But yeah, that's my journey into law school and into the law field. So let's, let's go back a step. When did you find out that you were undocumented? Um, I was about, I want to say I was like around 15 years old. So you were it was in high school. Everybody, yeah, it was the time that everybody was getting their work permits. Um, <laughs> so I'm mean, not their work permits. I'm sorry, their the driver's, driver's license. Okay. Yeah. And I wanted to get a driver's license. Like, hello, I'm over here thinking that I'm like an average, you know, 15 year old living in the U.S. And that's like when I kind of started asking questions. Um, and I was told that I wasn't able to get a, a license. Dang. So then what'd you do? Um, I was suppressed. I was like upset. I couldn't understand. I didn't understand what was happening. And I wasn't so much upset about the license because I didn't have a car. So mm -hmm. it was kind of like, okay, whatever. But it was more as to, I'm not going to be able to go to college. Mm. And I have, I am a very um, studious person. Like I love reading. I love studying. I love doing all those things. So I couldn't believe that all my efforts were just kind of come to an end. Um, so it was just very difficult for me to understand that. And I think that's why I ended up thinking of like, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to go to med school. Like that's where kind of all those childhood dreams were just crushed in an instant and thinking of like, I need to pick a career that's going to be shorter, faster, and just a way for me to get money. Mm, okay. So, so in spite of you not having, so you were still able to go to college um, but you weren't able, to, but you couldn't fill out any of the FAFSA forms or anything because, or were, were you able to get um, citizenship through the DACA program? How did that work? No, the, so the, the Dreamer. Actually, no, so Dreamer wasn't in place yet. This was back in two thousand and five. Ooh, okay. Um, when I was graduating from high school, so um, my mom just had been dating my stepfather, and they were living together, and. Um, I think my mom just didn't want to get married. You know, I don't blame her. My mom was a single mom. She right. had, you know, my parents' relationship ended in the U.S. Um, once they migrated over. So I think it was like hard and I get it. Like navigating a relationship is already difficult and then navigating becoming a single mom, I can't even imagine what it would be like. Um, so I remember my mom, you know, kind of like 
delivered that news to me. And I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? Like, I, I seriously asked her that question. Like, well, what am I going to do? I need to go to school. And like, started asking all these questions that she didn't have answers to. And I went to school. So actually, I, so I started school in Venezuela. So I was a year forward. So I actually graduated. Yep. So I graduated actually when I was 16 and a half, almost 17. So I was very young when I graduated high school. Um, so I, I didn't know what to do. Melanie. I was really like, I need to, fig- I have a problem. I need to figure it out. And my mom's not giving me answers. And I've always been like a self-starter. So I don't know if in high school here in the U.S., they bring the army and the air force, <laughs> yeah. all these like people at the table during lunchtime. So I just went to the I, to the Air Force. I said, well, if I have to join some type of like military force, I um, I might as well just go to the Air Force and learn how to drive a plane. That sounds cool enough. And I went and I got all the paperwork and I couldn't sign um, because I was not too young. Yet. Yes. yes. But they let you sign if your parents sign for you. Oh. So. I had done the physical. I had done everything. I had even run the stupid three miles they make you run. <laughs> and they told me that I had to lose a little weight. And I went home with all the paperwork. And I told my mom, I said, well, this is my solution. I found a solution. Like, I was so excited because I was like, oh, my God, I have a problem. I solved it. You know, I'm with it. And my mom was like, I'm not signing that. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I, I remember I was so upset. I was just like completely I don't even think my mom knows if I went to my room and I like ripped everything and I knocked everything off the walls and just went on like a a rampage I was so mad because she was like no I'm not doing this I'm not doing this like I'm not doing this and I was like okay well I need to figure I was like whether you do it now or we wait until I turn 18 it's happening because I need to go to college like so you get to pick what you you know when I'm going but it's happening and then yeah, my mom, like, you know, my mom didn't talk back then because she worked a lot. She had three jobs, you know, it was kind of like we had that conversation. We didn't talk about it again. And then my mom and my stepdad finally got married after being together for so long. <laughs> um, so I actually got my green card like days before starting college. So unfortunately, I did not I have a lot of student loans um, from undergrad because I didn't get to fill out the FATSFA in time. You know how there's like deadlines mm-hmm. and all that. Um, so I do have a lot of, I think a lot of people have, anybody that's a lawyer has a lot of loans, loans from law school, but I also have the loans from undergrad, undergrad. that are really fingering over me. Yeah. But you gotta give your mom credit. Cause you know, she would rather, she did what she needed to do to make sure cause she didn't want you to go, you know, to join, um, uh, the armed forces. So she was like, well, my daughter's going to do it anyway. I might as well do something. Yeah, definitely. No, no, for sure. I think also my mom knew that, like, I meant what I said. I've always been like that with my mom. I've always, with anyone, like, I am completely like, like, if this is what I want, I'm going to get it. I'm not sure how, but I will get it. So I, like, I think my mom saw that in me of, like, either you sign it now or we can just be until I'm 18 and I'll sign it myself. You choose which one, you know. Mm-hmm. which one we're going to do. So yeah, definitely. I appreciate that from my mom figuring out <laughs> because I don't know if I would have survived the A4 for it. 
<laughs> no, I'm glad too. I, I, I know. I know how your mom would have felt because my son is in the Navy. And I remember him going through the same thing when he was too young. And he was like, I am going to join the Navy whether you agree or not. And I was like, well, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. So I might as well give him my blessing because I'd rather him be safe than, you know, he'd go off and do whatever. So, yeah, I can totally relate to that. <laughs> But you wanted to be a prosecutor, and I can totally see your personality being a prosecutor and just cutting people down to size. Like, yeah, don't mess with me, people. So how did you go from prosecutor to immigration law? Um, so actually, I, I did an internship at the district attorney's office here in Massachusetts. My first, it was my first job out of my, finishing my first year of law school. And I think part of the reason that I wanted to be um, a prosecutor, so I think when you're an immigrant, you go through these phases, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, you think, I think it was going through the phase of like, I owe so much to this country that I need to give back. Right. That was the phase I was going through in that time of like, I owe so much to the city where I grew up. And I thought no one's going to defend this city better than I can. You know, like I felt that as a prosecutor, I could protect my city, I could protect my state. And that was my way of contributing back um, to, you know, a to the state and country that, you know, in my mind, I thought had given me so much. So I went to the district attorney's office because that's I was like, well, perfect. I'll get my foot in. I can like intern. It'll be great. And I actually worked at the family protection unit where you deal with a lot of child abuse cases, um, elderly abuse. And I was there for a whole summer and seeing that and me, I mean, first of all, kudos to anyone that does that job because I don't clearly was not able to do it. I mean, I did it for a summer and that was it. Um, but there wasn't, you're, you're protecting the city, but to me, you weren't providing closure or protection to the victims, mm. you know? There's like a difference between, you know, the punishment doesn't the give crime. closure. Yeah. Exactly. And the punishment doesn't give closure to the victim, you know, like, okay, yeah, you're punishing the perpetrator, but what about the victim? It's not providing really, a lot of the times it doesn't provide closure. You know, the crime has been committed already. That person has already suffered. Um, so I realized that I wasn't able, that I think that was the piece of disconnect for me. Um so I was like, maybe I should switch to the other team and go be a defense attorney. Um, so I tried that as well. I did an internship for that. And for a long time, I thought that's what I was going to do was be um, a defense attorney. But I was a broke law school student and I needed a paying job. And in Massachusetts, prosecutors and defense attorneys are very poorly paid. Really and it's probably one of the poorly paid in the country. And I had a lot of student loans and, you know, I wanted to be able to provide for myself financially. Um, and I got a paying job during law school as a, like a assistant to an immigration attorney. And I realized that immigration defense is pretty much the same thing as defending criminal defendants. It's just the way that the law is written. It's not written as criminal law, but it is exactly the same procedure, the same treatment. People are still being held in prisons. Um, so that's kind of what sparked my interest in maybe pursuing that. I still wasn't 110% sure. I still thought I was going to go back to criminal defense, but it just happened to be that I learned it. 
I'm good at it. And I got a paying job after <laughs> I passed the bar and I've really enjoyed it. I can't say that I regret it. That's awesome. So then how did you go from lawyer to entrepreneur? Um, so then it's a long story. <laughs> I'll give you the, the summary version. So I worked for a long time. Uh, I graduated law school. Um, I was pregnant when I graduated with my first son. And then I had my daughter and a lot of personal stuff happened. And I think the law, the legal profession has this um, toxic work environment. And I mean, mm-hmm. this like for everybody, whether you work at a big firm or you work, it's very easy. I think the trauma from law school makes us think that we need to overwork ourselves, that we need to do these things to, you know, be able to be successful. And I was going through some personal things um, with my children and I I felt like I needed, I was being an advocate for everybody else, but not for my own children. Mm. And I was so um, discouraged that I quit my job and I didn't have another job. Mm. I was like, I'm just never going to practice law ever again because I can't I felt that I couldn't be a mom Mm. and a lawyer um, at the same time or be a good mom and a good lawyer I was half-assing everything you know so um I took some time off I did some kind of contractual work with a nonprofit for some time actually um representing survivors of domestic violence and then my partner actually always encouraged me to open up my own firm and he's like, you already have the business background. You're good at what you do. Why don't you just do it? And it was kind of like imposter syndrome, self-doubt of like, I can't do this. How can I run a business? I'm not going to make any money. Like all these negative thoughts kept coming into my mind. Until finally, one day I was like, what if I just do it as a side hustle? Mm-hmm. Like, because people were still looking for me, even though I like tried to distance myself from that area people would still people knew me as like I practice immigration law so I would always get messages and things like that so I started taking a couple of cases but very minimal Malini I mean like maybe once every two months like on a Saturday if I have time and then I realized after like nine months that I was doing it like I'm doing this like it's happening like I have clients money coming in I have this like I'm good at this why am I doubting myself I still doubted myself for like about another nine months <laughs> and then finally um, quit all my other. So like 18 months later, I quit all my other commitments that I had, which was like the contractual work and the consultant work. And I am a full time owner of the law office of Alba Contreras. Awesome. That is so cool. So thinking about, you know, all the things that you I think, I think we all put so much of pressure on ourselves and, you know, uh, kind of talk ourselves out of a lot of good things. So what was the what was the hardest and the easiest part of starting your own business? I think the hardest was just doing that jump mm-hmm. of like just letting go of that steady paycheck that I was getting as a consultant, letting go of like those other commitments and just having 110% control of my business, of my income, and of everything that happens in the office. That was like the hardest. I mean, like I said, I, I came to that realization like nine months in doing it as a, you know, as a part-time thing. And it still took me an additional nine months um, to be able to commit to it 100%. 
So that was definitely the hardest part. I the easiest. For me personally, it was getting clients because I'm so good at what I do. You mm. know? Like it was so because I do it from a genuine place and because I'm so good and because of the one-on-one service that I offer to my clients, it was literally like I got my first client was a referral mm. from a friend. And that client then brought me two more clients. I didn't do any marketing in my law firm until this year. No kidding. Everything was word of mouth. Word of mouth, 110%. Because I told myself, I don't have the money. Well, this is what I was telling myself. I don't have the money to invest in marketing. I don't know marketing. I don't know this. So it was really all word of mouth for my clients. So that was the easiest for me. I don't know if that necessarily is the easiest for everybody. But I think if you're genuine in offering your service and offering value to your clients, the clients will come. They will come. Yeah. No, that that is so good. That is so good. I don't think people realize that we we kind of focus on so many other things. We forget that we're what we're providing. We, when you do it from a place of, like you said, from the heart, and you do it out of passion, people can see that. That's what they want, right? So, looking back and knowing what you know now, what are some of the key financial lessons that you learned in starting your own business? A budget. That mm. was like number one. Um, like I said, it was very hard for me to start this. I had so many self-doubts, so much mind work that I had to get through to be able to get this business started. And I just, all I kept thinking was, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to pay the bills? But then one day I was like, but what are the bills? Like, you know, like, <laughs> I like would tell myself like how you go pay what the bills and in my head I was like what bills I don't have an employee I don't have an office space I already have a laptop I'm not investing in a marketing plan because I'm strictly using word of mouth I'm doing it as a you know I'm doing kind of as a side hustle because I still had income coming in from my other work right so it wasn't like I was gonna have to pay my own personal bills because those bills were already covered. Mm-hmm. I was like, so what are the bills, girl? Like, what are these bills that you're all worked up about? So I had to like sit down and create a budget. And literally my expenses were $9.99 for 500 business cards through Vistaprint. <laughs> it's not an ad. Just letting you guys know what my bills were. Um, $69.99 for a P.O. box at the post office. And $7 for a fax number that's it that was it those that those were the bills the bills that were holding me back that I was so stressed (laughs) out about that I wasn't going to be able to afford I was like oh my god okay I can do this I already had a laptop I already had like everything going I had a printer at home I had paper like it was going to be okay and then I like my bills were so little that I just timed timed themselves too. So I was like, okay, perfect. Like with one case that I take or you know X amount of cases that I do, I'll be able to cover these bills. And until this day, I still use up on it. Like That's now awesome. I'm responsible for two payrolls, well three pay three employees, right? Myself and two others. And I have a list of my expenses when I covered when I finally rented an office space. 
I added the office space. Stuff. Now you have bills. <laughs> yeah, now I have real bills. Now I'm worried, but I have a budget. And some days I still freak out. I'm not going to lie. Like, some days I don't have the heart palpitation and I'll be like, oh my God, I'm responsible for two other people's like paycheck. Right. Cause it's fine. Like if I don't get paid myself, like I always think like if I don't pay myself this week, I'm okay. I have a partner. I have like all these other privileges that like I have savings. I have my six month like emergency fund. Like I have all these other privileges that, you know, I can take advantage of, but sometimes I'll be like, Oh my God, I'm responsible for two other paychecks. I start getting heart palpitations. I start like, and then I'm like, okay, but let's look at the numbers. Let's realistically look at the numbers. And then I look at the number and everything's going to be okay because I've been budgeting. I have some savings for the business. Like it's going to be okay. So I think that just, just doing the budget, because looking at those numbers is going to calm so much anxiety and it's going to help you focus on where you're going in your business. Right. Right. No, that is so good though. I know. I feel the same way sometimes. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're making it so much bigger in your own, in your head. It's not even like that in real life. Right. Wow. That is so good. So you should be so proud of achieving all your goals, girl. I mean, I'm so I'm, I'm just looking at where you were and look at you today. That's awesome. So if you wanted to tell others, you know, want to follow their dreams, what would you tell them? Um, go for it. Take a deep breath. Write it all down. And take one step at a time. You know, there's days that you're going to wake up and you're not going to feel motivated. There's days where it's going to be hard. There's days where you're like, oh, my God, you know, why am I doing this? Kind of like all that self-doubt comes up. Um, for me, what was helpful was writing my whys of why I wanted to run my own law firm. And I have it written down. And some days I just have to remind myself of my whys. And remind myself to just do things one step at a time. Like, like I said, there's days that you're going to want to wake up and you're going to be like, I'm not doing this. Just going to go get a nine to five job. Take a deep breath. You're your own boss. You can take your day off. You can take more all entitled to a mental health day. Go think of your whys and come back the next day recharged. Um, because that definitely, we all go through that. As mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, we all go through that. We all have that self-doubt moment we all have that like oh my god I don't think I can do this and just thinking of what we don't have to do it all we just have to take one step at a time like I said when I was like psyching myself all these bills girl you don't got bills just you got one all you need to do is one step at a time and keep going so that definitely would be my advice follow your dreams write your why and just take one step at a time that's awesome so, you know, when, when things go really rough and things go, you know, things are getting tough, what do you tell yourself? What mantra do you tell yourself to get you out of it? Um, so the, I, so I have different mantras defend, depending, I still have a lot of mind work that I'm working for myself. Um, so it honestly depends. I think for me, my biggest insecurities and in mind, like kind of working through the mind work is the money part of it. Like, I was always so scared that I was not going to have enough money. And I think that probably comes from my own childhood immigrant traumas, being raised by a single mom, like, oh, my God, we're not going to have enough money. Um, so one of my um, 
one of my mantras that I always kind of like remind myself is I know how to create money. Like I know how to do this. I have been doing this. Like it is going to be okay. I know how to create money. Um, that was kind of personal to me with my financial insecurities, which are the ones that I mostly deal with. Uh, there are days that I wake up and I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to get all this done or I'm not doing enough, right? Like I'm not doing enough to get more business or I'm not in that kind of, you can spiral out of control because mm-hmm. then you're going to be desperate when you go on that. So I just remind myself one step in front of the other. Like literally I have it written on a sticky note and I look at it and I'm like, take a deep breath, relax, just take one step. What can you do today? Um, and another one that's my favorite. So I have three. This is the last one. I trust my own growth. It's really good. Those are the three that I like are my go-to. I have tons more, but those <laughs> I think are the three that I like use them on a weekly basis, especially the financial part of it, because it's so scary, yep. you know, to be financially responsible. But at the same time, it's so liberating. Yes. You know, like if I meet my sales goal, on the 15th of the month, I know that my, my bills are paid for the rest of the month. You know, it's like, I can take off the other 15 days. I'm probably not because that's just not how my brain works. But knowing that you have the luxury mm-hmm. to be able to do that is also so liberating. Oh, yes. The freedom, right? And that you, you wouldn't have gotten that if you were working on a nine to five, you know, 80 hour weeks or whatever at somebody else's beck and call. This way, you know, if you need to take the time off, you can take the time off. Exactly. And that was that was my why. You know, my why was being able, being able to have control of my own schedule because I didn't, I always tell myself, like, I'm a mom, right? I have all these jobs and responsibilities. Like, I'm a mom, I'm a partner, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister. But to me, the first one is I'm a mom because I got to be there for those kids that, you know, I got to be their advocates, and my why was being able to be there for my kids. Like last month, my kids had two field trips. I took those two days off and I went and became a chaperone. I was exhausted. I regretted it. But you know what? I was a chaperone. Like <laughs> your, your kids saw you there. Like, hey, that's exactly. my mom. Exactly. You know? And it's just like that, that freedom of being able to like be there for my kids advocate for my kids, you know, and the reality is that I have, I have two kids of color, you know, who have like these privileges and I want to make sure that I'm there for them. Like, so they can learn to advocate for themselves. Like if they want to be the kid with the ethnic food, I'm going to be there. If a kid says something to them, I'm like, no, don't say that to my kid. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, I want to eat the plantains. Exactly. <laughs> it was so funny because yesterday I took my kids to like a little playground and there was an older kid and he kept taking the little stool um, from my daughter. And I try not to be a helicopter mom, <laughs> but I could see my daughter like getting closer and wanting to take it. But it was an older, um, you know, boy and taller than her. And I could tell that she felt intimidated by him. And I was like, should I get him? I, I was having that moment of self-doubt. Like, should I step in? Should I not step in? And she went, the, you know, the kid left, she went and took the stool. And then the kid came and took it from her again. And I was like, oh, no, I'm stepping in. And I, like, went up to her and I said, do you want the the stool? And she said, yes, but he's using it. And I said, well, you can ask. 
And I told her, you need to go up to, because she hadn't even asked as I was observing her. I'm like, she haven't, she hasn't even used her voice to tell the kid, can I please use the, you know, stool? And I said, you have to ask and you have to say this and you have to go get the stool. And she went and she said, can I please use this stool? And the kid said, oh yeah, here it is. Take it back. But it was that moment of like, I am raising a female, like I'm, you know, a girl, and I need to let her know that her, she needs to make her voice be heard. And, you know, being able to just do that for my kids, be able to take them to the playground, being able to be the chaperone, being able to offer that support, you know, I want my kids to have that privilege. And being an entrepreneur and being the owner of my own business is allowing me to do that. That's awesome. That is so good. Because I think even, you know, and the kids, they watch how we, how we do things. It's not what we tell them, you know, it's what we do, right? So they're watching on the sidelines to see what's mom doing. And they're like, well, if mom can do it, I can do it too. So you're setting such a great example for your children. That's awesome. That's so cool. (laughs) But thank you so much, Alba. I really do appreciate you taking the time to come on today. And I'm so excited to hear back from other people because I know this is going to resonate with so many women. So thank you. Yeah, anytime. And thank you so much for inviting me. This was so much fun. You're very welcome. This is your first podcast, right? It is. Not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Bucket list text. There you go. (laughs) It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you love the show, please leave a review. Just remember. You could be one story away from being inspired.